You're listening to the Cultivating Careers and Alternative Proteins podcast, a podcast which features students and early career professionals who work in the alternative protein industry, where they discuss their journeys and deliver advice on how you can start a career in this revolutionary field. Nelson Mandela said that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And this is especially true for the alternative protein industry, which is why I want to showcase the experience of an educator on this podcast. Frederick Lau was a facilitator for the Alternative Proteins Fundamentals Program organized by the Cambridge University Alt Protein Society, as well as LEAF, a program that teaches youth how to use their future careers to do good. Also, he teaches high schoolers about the what's and why's of alternative proteins. In addition, he's a local radio host on a philosophy show and the fellowship director for Effective Altruism Denmark, where he organizes and manages online education programs. And now, onto my conversation with Frederick. Welcome, Frederick, to the Cultivating Careers in Alternative Proteins podcast. I am very excited to speak with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise, and thank you. I think we're going to try to make this more of a casual conversation, as you suggested previously. So... As a starting point, maybe we can talk about what really excites you about the alternative protein space. Yeah, so what really excites me, I guess, is really the community and kind of the cause. I've read that for choosing your career, it's actually kind of a myth that you have to choose based on your passion and what you concretely going to do. But what seems to be way more important is that the mission is something you are aligned with and you think that the work is meaningful. And that's also one of the things, at least, that initially really drew me towards this space, especially when I was considering whether to go into the bio risk and pandemic risk kind of thing that is very common for biotech majors like myself to also consider if they want to really try to maximize for impact with their career. But the community around that is very, very techy in the bio-risk sort of area. And I'm way more of like a people's person. And you just have way more socially well-calibrated and fun, empathetic people in the animal welfare space. So that's really what drew me towards that in the beginning. But also, as I said, like the mission is just something I became really, really passionate about when I first started learning about animal welfare and really, of course, as I think a lot of people that go into the alternative protein space do, kind of really trying to look inwards and try to apply what they're learning and see the very possible dissonance that can be with the ideas and sort of your own actions. Like as most people in, at least in this part of Denmark where I grew up, like I grew up just eating uh, meat, potatoes, and gravy. It's kind of what my child body and teenage body is built on. And of course, keeping that going just because it's easy. And as you know, right, diet is such a big part of the very habitual human that I am as well as other people. And really seeing that being in conflict with learning about it was fascinating and learning about stuff where I am clearly doing something wrong here or like wow this is really exciting i've never thought about this before and animal welfare in general was one of these kind of realizations these mind bombs kind of thing that just went off slowly i guess 
I, I, yeah, I guess it was like less of a bomb rather than an intensifying feeling that happened over time. So it was just a marriage, I guess, of what became my passion and what I found meaningful, but also what I could see my skill set be applied to when I wanted to maximize for impact, but also as a place where I could see myself really feel at home and feel comfortable because I just seem to have a lot more in common with gender proteins people and animal welfare people than I have of the very techie people that I walk around with every day when I go to my university, for instance, in my, as I said, engineering biotechnology major that I'm studying at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. And I totally agree with you, but the alternative protein community is very tightly knit and it's kind of on the verge of being somewhat techie because there's the sort of novelty in, in developing these new products and processing techniques, but it's also more on the ethical and social side of, as you mentioned, the understanding of animal welfare and the social and cognitive dissonance associated with consuming animal products. It's sort of a great combination of both those sides and you can get people passionate from being more on the tech side and being more on the ethical and animal welfare side coming together for the same common goal. And that's what I really enjoy about the alternative protein space too. Yeah, totally same. So I know you're a master's student at Alberg University studying biotechnology. And I was wondering if you could tell me what some of your takeaways are from doing your thesis. Yeah, so I guess as a preface, I, I think I'm halfway through it already, and it's really been an uphill battle. So initially, this is not something that the Institute has ever done. What I'm doing a thesis in, I should mention also, is cultivated meat. What's the title of the thesis? So I've not settled on a title yet, but it's going to be something like screening for complex media ingredients suitable for cultivation of porcine cells, that is cells from pigs. Yeah. So some takeaways, I was working so hard on just trying to get this to happen. So I had a passion that, okay, now I'm going to do my year thesis. It's like one year and I really want to do it in alternative proteins. And I really want to do it in cultivated meat because I just think it's really, really cool. And I think especially the research and development department is going to be so influential for the development and for the possible success of cultivated meat. But as I said, nothing of this sort of thing happened at my own university. So I wrote to a bunch of professors in the world and to people that I knew in the space and tried to get help from that, which is such a hard thing to do. I hate asking for help, but I guess my passion trumped the feeling awkward about asking for help and just made me do it anyways. But nothing worked. And I tried again and again and again. And I also need a supervisor from my own university. And just wrote to a bunch of people, I need someone who can do this, who's willing to take someone like me on. And then there was bites. And the professor was like, wow, yeah, this seems really cool. I've actually just spoken to a company that was asking about whether we did anything on cultivated meat here in Denmark. And I had to say no, but if you're interested, we could maybe do something. So from having spent hours and hours and hours reaching out and trying to go to a different university to do this, I ended up finding a professor that so happened to be at my university, first of all, but also wanting to actually do something he's never done before and working with a company 
doing cultivated meat. A takeaway from that could be persistence. If there's a few percent chance of something to work, you need to probably reach out a bunch of times before something happens. Not expecting it to work out the first time, but just try again and again and again and again. And probably it's going to be more likely it'll work. Some things just have an unusually low success rate. I was really happy that I just persisted because I was so close to just quitting and doing a regular thing that they propose a master's thesis subject to you and just take one of those. But I would rather do something in alternative protein and especially cultivated meat. And I got to do that. Perhaps another takeaway would be that you don't have to feel alone in your passion and one person can't make a difference, but can't make a difference in isolation and not being afraid to reach out and ask for help. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's especially one of those things that I think is really great about the alternative proteins community because it's just so unusually philanthropic, but at the personal level, just so altruistic, just an unusual amount of help seems to be a characteristic of this field. So I had a talk the other day with a young high school student, and it was just so nice being able to help. It's almost as if people asking me for help helps me more than it helps them. I love talking to people and I love sharing about my experiences. And that's what I also initially thought when I was in the position where I needed help, wanted to reach out, is imagine I was the person whom I was reaching out to. I would love to receive a message from a passionate young guy like me who needs some kind of help that I likely would be able to help with. I might not know the solution or the part solution to the exact problem, but I might know someone who does. So in any case, especially in the case that I initially talked about, a high school student, I could help with a lot of things because just of the level difference. Yeah, definitely. And I've noticed that myself People who've reached out to me over LinkedIn and who've heard about this podcast and they're curious to get more advice or insights on how to get a career in the alternative proteins. And I'm extremely ecstatic every time I get that message and having conversations with them. And both of us, when we have that call, we have a huge smile on our face the entire time. It's fantastic. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I want to go back to, as we were talking about there, your teaching high school students. Can you tell me more about how you landed that job of teaching high school students specifically about alternative proteins? Yeah. So this was one time where I really believed in myself because I was working as a store manager, actually, just earning money for rent and to be able to donate more. But then I saw this job being posted on somewhere. It doesn't really matter, right? For a university student, they were seeking students from my university, Alba University, that could be part of this core that gets out to high school when they're booked and takes over the high school, or at least the Danish equivalent to high schools. We don't have high schools, but I'm just being international here. So let's just say high school henceforth and teach basically. But of course, it had to be in a topic that we are actually taught in the university because we're also representing the university and it's kind of also a sales pitch for the university, this job. But I saw this posting. I quit the day I saw it kind of because I'm like, yes, I'm going to send an application and I'm definitely going to get this job. This is what I want to do because I just love talking to people. I love being an inspiration. At least I'm striving to be and I love teaching and just talking in general. Anyone who's going to pay me to talk. I'm ecstatic to do it. 
I just got the job, I guess, from my experience being a radio host and being very smiley, just being very positive and having the experience. But I initially got hired to teach about microbiology, even though I would really want to teach about alternative proteins, because again, that's what I find impactful. That's one way to sneak in maybe some environmentalist thinking and animal welfare thinking into these young people that might be a little bit impressionable, hopefully. But we've not been taught about alternative proteins or much food tech at all in my degree, at least. But I found out that they didn't actually check what we're taught. So I made up an excuse to change my topic from microbiology, which we are taught, to alternative proteins. I just know more about alternative proteins also. So it's definitely for the better, I think. And it's a more exciting topic, even though I think microbiology is really cool. I wish we were taught more about alternative proteins as well. But anyways, yeah, that's how I did it. And it's so lovely. The class in general is unenthusiastic about what you're teaching, but like you have those few sometimes and maybe like sometimes when you're really lucky it's the whole class that's really enthusiastic right but you have those few really smart people usually and very excited people who are hearing about this for the first time and just seeing them ask a bunch of questions uh, coming up and talk to you it's so cool if you love inspiring people and talking to young people definitely being a teacher is so great it's so wholesome all the time Sometimes you have bad classes, but there's always good students. And that's kind of what fills me with motivation. And what do you feel the impact is that you're having in terms of teaching people about alternative curriculums? What I especially think is great about young people is that they have their whole life ahead of them and they're not locked in to any career yet. So like the world lies ahead of you. It's a really good time to fill them with inspiration and maybe a path forward. It really seems, especially nowadays, compared to when I was in high school age, like 10 years ago, that a lot of people don't know what to do. And they see it's really a first world problem. There's so many opportunities living in a rich and wealthy country where you are paid to go to university, but there's so much to choose from. And it just seems like there's this choice paralysis kind of thing. And they just need a path. And there's also this very environmentalist spirit, very Scandinavian thing. Like a lot of really young people really care about the environment, even though what is most convincing to me for why you, for instance, should work on animal welfare or why we should care about alternative proteins is the ethics of it. It's not what I use. I try to be, of course, as convincing as possible. And I think the environmentalist approach is just much better. So that's what I'm also trying to hammer down the point of why you should care about alternative proteins. And this really seems to be something that they seem to really understand. But also, I do like make a small point about animal welfare as well. And for many of them, for those that tell me they are saying stuff like, it's the first time I've heard about this, either about alternative proteins or animal welfare or the ethics argument. and I think that's what might really be important about this, being the first one to kind of sow this seed. Because, of course, when you're talking about trying to change people's behaviors, it's not something that happens from one day to the next. It's 
something that usually takes time to develop, which is why I'm using the seed metaphor. It's seed that might grow and blossom, but you of course need to also sow the initial seed. And that's kind of where I see my role and what I try to also fit what I'm saying into being very introductory. That's at least what I'm hoping. My dream scenario is to receive an email like, oh, you really inspired me this day. This is, you probably don't remember me, but we spoke like three years ago and I've now gone into biology or like tissue engineering or like biotech or something because I really want to do alternative proteins because of what you said initially. That is my dream. I'm aiming to create a person who is not necessarily going to write me that, but is going to do that, if that makes sense. Right. That makes a lot of sense. As you mentioned, because they're so young, they can start pursuing their career very early on into the alternative protein space. And maybe one day, say five, 10 years from now, you will get that email saying, thank you so much. Dream scenario. But yeah, that's the hope. Oh, I think it'll happen. Yeah, so I know you were also a facilitator for the Alternative Proteins program. Can you tell me more about your experience there and any challenges that you face? Yes, definitely. And I just also want to give some kudos to you for the helpful materials. Of course, you were a facilitator as well, just to the listener and a really good one, like kind of helping all the other facilitators. And I just want to say like, I saw that and uh, wanted to give kudos for that as well. Thank you so much. That was such a great time. But I remember initially, I really wanted to be a participant because I really didn't think I had what it took to be a facilitator. First of all, I saw the Cambridge University brand and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just from Old Boy University. I did not need any grades to get into my major. There's no such thing as a prestigious university in Denmark and especially not Old Boy. Everyone who wanted to get into my major got in. So that was already like, oh, I'm not coming from a very prestigious place. And I'm definitely pretty young. I've not done much in alternative proteins yet. I'm only a high school teacher of it. So I was really battling with imposter syndrome in the beginning and just trying to reconcile with that. And I spoke to my good friend, Amanda, who's really great and also does alternative proteins and is now running her own version of the alternative protein fundamentals program for some Danish people. She was like, yeah, no, you you could definitely be a facilitator. And I kind of also thought more about it. And I came to this realization and I really wanted to share it with people because I think also imposter syndrome must be something that is really apparent, especially for people interested in alternative proteins, maybe, because they might be people who are interested in animal welfare, who I think are unusually agreeable. We're talking like personality trait here. And I think agreeable people are really overrepresented in imposter syndrome, of course, because you are more likely to argue for other people's case rather than your own. I'm just going to apply because I'm not the only one who gets to decide whether I get the job. I'm just going to put the onus on whoever is going to be my employer and they can decide, is Frederick good for this job, right? I'm just going to put all the trust and faith in them to decide whether I'm a good fit and just apply anyways. And so that's what I did and yeah, got the job. And I'm so glad that you did. 
as it's likely that we wouldn't be having this conversation had you not applied. I think it just goes to show that you shouldn't let imposter syndrome stop you from applying to jobs. This also reminds me of a quote by Wayne Gretzky, a famous Canadian hockey player, that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So all the more reason to apply anyways. Yes, definitely. And my good friend Peter Wallach has this brilliant term that he sort of invented himself, he says, called upside bargain. It's kind of playing on the whole like a downside bargain, which you might know concept of. But like an upside bargain is something that doesn't take a lot of time or it's not that dangerous to do. You might spend two hours or something on an application, for instance, or you might have to fight through some anxiety or some awkwardness about cold emailing a professor or something or an author of a really cool book that you just read that you really wanted to reach out to. But you take that very small price and you look at the very large benefit you could get if they actually, for instance, respond or if you get the job and just look at this trade-off and see this is such a small price to pay for something that could be really, really great. And that also really stood out to me. And I just wanted to give credit to him as well for putting a term on something that I've thought about for a long time, but something that has a really low cost and could have a really high benefit. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Another way I like to look at this is to ask myself, would I regret this 10 years from now? Yeah, 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 definitely. Is there any other advice that you would give to people who want to get into the alternative protein space? I guess listening to people having the sort of conversations that we do on the very meta level. So whether that's this podcast or you in some other way, kind of grapple with your concerns. So that could either be try to consume products like this podcast, but also reach out to people and ask them about it. What's so great about living in a very technologically advanced and uh, a global world is that you don't have to learn all of life's lessons by yourself. You can just speak to someone who has worked with alternative proteins for almost the whole existence of the alternative protein field. But speaking to people who are more senior than you, I just think is so good. They might have spent two years learning something that they can teach you in 10 minutes or even five. And not using that would be such a shame. But I also really like your previous point that thinking, should I do this? And then thinking, how would I look back on this in 10 years? And because that also seemed really profound to me. I also think that the not doing hurts more than, for instance, getting the rejection for an application that you sent, or might even be a girl that you should have asked out or a guy or whatever. That's a very common theme. Just ask them or send the application because it's probably going to hurt more not knowing what could have happened and not taking that upside bargain. I really like that piece of advice as well. Thank you. And imagine yourself, say, 10 or 20 years in the future, where do you see yourself? When it comes to myself, that's a really good question because I am so confused about what I'm going to do. I could see myself doing so many different things, but the more and more I do my thesis, I am less interested in academia, at least, and research. So that's the only thing I'm excluding, but I could see myself starting a company. I could see myself starting a nonprofit. I could see myself working for a startup and I could see myself doing something on my own, whether it's the kind of podcast communications 
teaching side of me. It's really up in the air, so I really don't know, but I hope I will find out <laughs> at some point. But I'll probably just take what comes. I'll probably see a cool job posting. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. And probably just apply to a bunch of different stuff and figure it out. And remembering that it's probably not important what I concretely do, but rather that it is meaningful, impactful, and it's something I can see myself growing in, but also some place where I have a comparative advantage, because I think that's also useful to think about. Because having a very influential, an impactful job where you have a lot of power is not necessarily impactful if you're just taking that job from someone else. Because imagine if you are not in the picture, so you're looking at what very fancily is called counterfactual impact. You take yourself out of the equation and look at oh, what would have happened otherwise? They might have found an even better founder or director or engineer or whatever. But if it's something where you are unique in or something maybe with your skill set or your personality, then it's really useful to take that into account and think of it in the counterfactual way. Where is my comparative advantage? And being such a generalist that I am, doing teaching and tech and communications and... I really like talk to people and also doing operations work. Yeah, that's a very long-winded, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. And I think being a generalist is good. It keeps a lot of doors and opportunities open. And especially working at a startup, you have to be a generalist and there's lots of different hats you have to wear. Yeah, certainly seems that way. All right. Well, as we come to the end of the episode here, is there anything else that you want to add or talk about? I just want to say I think it's been a really great experience and it's been a pleasure having a gracious host like yourself. And I really like the mission that this podcast is trying to adhere to and I hope it does really well and that I really love your work and I hope that you'll do more of it. And I am humbled as like a student who's not done very extraordinary things to having been invited on. So just want to give a huge thanks and kudos to you, Jeffrey. I really appreciate that. And I want to reciprocate and, and thank you for the advice that you gave me in terms of improving this podcast. And I hope that'll be better. And I know you have your own radio show, which I'll do a shameless plug to and put a link to in, in the show notes. Oh, it's in Danish, so I... Oh, well, if there's any Danish listeners to this podcast, maybe they'd be, they'd be interested. <laughs> All right, okay. That's great, yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you found this episode to be quite educational. I know I did. Frederick is an excellent example of how you don't have to be an expert to make an impact in this industry, and that even just understanding the fundamentals of alternative proteins can enable you to teach others about them potentially inspiring others to pursue a career in this field. This again shows that there's a place for everyone, including you, to be a part of the alternative protein revolution. If you want to learn more about careers in the alternative protein industry, please follow the Cultivating Careers in Alternative Protein podcast on Instagram for weekly posts about episode releases, alternative protein resources, job boards, career advice, and so much more.